You are listening to the Lima Community Church Podcast. The following was recorded at Lima Community Church of the Nazarene in Lima, Ohio. I want to start this this sermon off by reading this scripture. And, And you tell me, can you identify with these words? How long, Lord? Will you hide yourself forever? How many of you feel like you've said something along those lines at some point in your life? Oh my. We're going to preach on lying now. (laughs) We all have said something like this, haven't we? Where are you? Lord, have you forgotten where I'm at? Do you care about what I'm going through? Do you even see me, Lord? Where are you at? I can't sense your presence. I don't see you working. In fact, it seems like you have forgotten There's not a one of us in this room today who haven't experienced a similar kind of of season or phase of life that Ethan, the writer of this psalm, is sharing. What's remarkable about this psalm is it's one of the 11 royal psalms. It's 11 out of 150 psalms that specifically spend considerable time talking about the coming Messiah. You say, Chip, I thought this is Christmas. This is Advent. We've already been talking about uh, the story a little bit. We've sung about it. Why are you in the Psalms? Well, guess what? This Psalm was one that was written hundreds of years before Jesus came as they looked forward to a Messiah. And in the middle of this psalm that is talking about a Messiah, the weight of the psalmist's words are this. They're despondent at this point. How long, Lord? Will you hide forever? What's amazing about this psalm is if you begin back at the first verse, for 37 verses, it's looked kind of like this. Let's read the first four I will sing of the Lord's great love forever. With my mouth, I will make known your faithfulness through all generations. I will declare that your love stands firm forever, that you have established your faithfulness in heaven itself. You said, I have made a covenant with my chosen one. I have sworn to David, my servant, I will establish your line forever and make your throne firm through all generations. This does not sound despondent at all, does it? It sounds incredibly hopeful. In fact, it's this theological tag team of two words that are used in these first four verses that just spill over for 30 more verses of this Theological tag team of hased, which is the, sted, the Hebrew word for the steadfast love of God. Steadfast. It's not um, coming and going. It's, it's set toward his people. He loves, he loves, he loves. 
And he's celebrating, he's praising God for that. And then he throws in these, this idea of this covenant that not only is God's internal inner character one of love and goodness, but he has put himself out there and made commitments to his people. God who cannot lie, who in, there, who in him exists truth, when he speaks, it's true and he's faithful to his words. He makes this covenant and his outer actions reveal his inner character and this is something to be celebrated. And for 30 verses, 30 something verses, he just over and over, if you weave your way through this psalm, he talks about this kind of God. How in the world do we go from 37 verses of this to how long, O oh Lord? Will you hide forever? You see, this is not unlike our lives, I feel like. There's a sense where we know the goodness of God. We believe in his faithfulness. We've experienced his love. We believe in his promises. But the reality of life begins to dim and cloud our vision. It numbs our senses to the presence of God. Does it not? Anybody else with me? We've all lived that, haven't we? Like, God, I, I know you're this, but the reality of my situation is causing me to look around and, and say, what is going on? Where are you at? I mean, think about how in verse 38, he begins to say these words. God, I look around, and it seems like the time for this is, is uh, in the children of God are in exile, one of the exiles. It's obvious that things are not going well for them. Because listen to his words. He's, he spent 30-something verses talking about how great and faithful and, and good God is and how he's going to take care of them. Till he switches, it's almost like it's, there's a bipolar disorder going on, Amen. Um, and guess what? I think in a spiritual sense, a lot of us, we, we have lived on this, this, uh, this medium, haven't we? Where we know the goodness of God, but around us, the circumstances, it's like, where are you? Look, he's even saying this, you've rejected, you have spurned. I mean, he's talking about covenant and now he's saying rejection. You have spurned, you've been angry. You've talked about steadfast love, but now you're angry. You have renounced the covenant with your servant. I just feel like you've, you've given up on us. You've went back on your word with your servant and you've defiled his crown in the dust. The great and splendous, splen uh, that's not a word. The splendor of David's kingdom. It's like that crown that he wore and the glory of God's blessing on their life has been put in the dust, is what he's saying. You have broken through the walls and reduced us to ruins. All who pass by plunder us. They take advantage of us. He has, he has become, we have become the scorn of our neighbors. You have exalted the right hand of our foes. You have made all of our enemies rejoice. Indeed, you have turned back the edge of our sword. We cannot win battles. We lose. You have not supported us in battle. You have put an end to all his splendor, and you've cast down the throne to the ground. Wow, what a psalm. God, you're this, 
And then God, if you're this, why is all of this happening? As I read this and realized that it's in the middle of this psalm about a God who's going to come, who's going to deliver, that really all of us have experienced this kind of emotion this kind of thought pattern where we believe and have seen God's goodness so many times and yet the circumstances around us cause us to despair and to be irrational and to say one thing one minute and say another thing the next. Anybody with me? I know you are because this is the human reality so many times. And so as we think about what it means to live with hope in this season, that if, if the, the advent of Jesus Christ is, is best articulated, best understood through these weighty, beautiful, truth-filled words of hope and peace and joy and love, if Jesus is the epitome of that, I want us to consider something out of this psalm about a coming Messiah to help us maybe understand hope a little better this year. I want to begin with this this way. Hope disappears when our circumstances become broken. Hope disappears. Did you watch just, I read four verses. You can read a bunch more. Like, it's so in front of him, but when he begins to look around him, hope has disappeared. In fact, it's the questions of, you've given up on me. You've changed your mind. You're angry, and, and I feel your rejection, God. Hope often disappears when our circumstances are broken. And the human condition is one of brokenness over and over and over again. The, the, the tenor of our world is broken because all of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us have turned to our own way. All have sinned and fallen short, fallen short of the glory of God. And we live in a world that is characterized by being lost. And because it's lost sight of God himself, it becomes inward selfish focus and that always causes dysfunction, brokenness, and loss. And as we live in that world, so often because of the brokenness, the circumstances that we all navigate through cause hope to disappear because of our circumstances. Amen? You're not alone in that. You're not... Uh, unique in that. There's not something wrong with you because of that. The psalmist here is it's just like exhibit A. Whoa, you can say all these great things about God and turn around the next minute, look around you, and then say all these like doubting things about God, irrational things. I looked up this week. I, they did some data on why, why do we lose hope? I, I, I wonder if maybe you would identify with, with some of these things, maybe one of them, two of them, Three of them. Some of you might say I identify with all ten of them right now. Why do we lose hope? We lose hope when we feel alone, right? When we're abandoned. Our world is full of loneliness. And in the midst of our loneliness, hope is sucked out of our lives. We weren't meant to be alone. We were meant to live in rich relationship with one another, with God. 
we lose hope when life seems out of control. Amen? That's why I'm like in the middle of four kids in school and all that, and life sometimes seems out of control. And like my hope quotient meter is like... But really, in the big scheme of life, when things are, seem like they're out of control, we begin to become hopeless. You don't see a purpose with your life. Why am I here? What am I doing? What am I supposed to be doing? Am I experiencing my design to be lived out? We become hopeless. We grieve a loss, obviously. Loss of a loved one, loss of a job, loss of a marriage, loss of a friendship. So many things that there is loss in this world and we grieve that and through that we begin to become hopeless. You don't have what you need. You've done something wrong. You're plagued by guilt and shame. A sense of failure becomes what you see yourself as, just a failure. And in that, hope is sucked out of your life. You're deeply wounded by someone. You're pulled in a wrong direction. And what seems to be so good for you at the same time you know is not right for you. And you live in the tension of that. And it just seems hopeless. I'm, I'm not going to, this just seems good. I, I like this, but it's not right. And so I, I seem like I have to make the decision to do what's right and lose out what's good and what makes me happy. And it, you get all of that. And in that, we become hopeless. We're hounded by fear. You ever been there? You ever lived with anxiety and fear and worry so much? Guess what? It struggles to exist at the same time. Fear and hope. Do they not? I mean, it's really hard to live with a deep sense of hope when you're hounded by fear. When it looks like nothing can fix your problem and defeat is just the story brings hopeful, hopelessness. I, I would just say this as a sideline that our world is, is full of this stuff and your life is surrounded by this stuff. It just is. It, it, I mean, it is. And so we all are, are trying to live full of hope while our circumstances don't lend itself to that. And it's a struggle. The struggle is real, right? And what often happens is we walk through some of these things that, that cause us to lose hope. What I've observed is that oftentimes when we lose hope in things, we become discouraged. And we begin to live with discouragement. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I think discouragement is something that the enemy of our soul delights, delights in seeing happen in our life. We lose hope, we become discouraged. I've, I've written these words. Discouragement is a universal and it's a contagious disease, amen? Don't look at your spouse. You know what I'm talking about though? Like, we all know what it is to, to have to uh, 
battle against discouragement, to, to, to get there and live in it and realize, ah, this is terrible. It's miserable. But I'm not seeing hopeful things around me. I'm just discouraged, right? And, and then maybe you're around those people that live like that, and then they just, it comes out. What's in the heart of man comes out, you know, like through his speech. And you ever been around people that are like, oh my goodness, just get me out of here. I've actually had the sensation sometimes where I've thought, I've been around someone who's just negative, just, I just, I got to go home and take a shower. That's so irrational, right? You can't wash the discouragement off. But I felt like I needed to do something for a reset. Right? And we live in a world that battles with discouragement and circumstances cause that because it begins to bleed our hope out of our life. There's one thing I also want you to think about with hope. Hope disappears when circumstances are broken. It can be very circumstantial. But also, hope disappoints when promises are misunderstood. A key part of understanding this psalm and then the people of God in the Old Testament is that they heard the promises of a coming Messiah. And they began to experience some of God's blessing in the kingdom of David and Solomon. And they did what we naturally do so often. We think that the promises of God mean this. When God lives at a whole different level and purpose for our life that is greater than what we even believe is the best for us. See, they thought that this promise of a Messiah means that, okay, we're going to be like we were in the time of David. We're going to be a superpower in the world. We're going to experience health and wealth. We're going to be prosperous. That's the kingdom, man. Does that sound familiar? This is still the wrestling of all ages, all generations. What is the desire of God for mankind in this world? And the children of Israel got so wrapped up in making this idea of a kingdom here and now that they lost sight of the greater work that God wanted to do. You know, they're the ones that asked for a king. God said, I don't want you to have a king. I want your king your country, your nation, you're, you're my people, you're different. They persisted. He said, okay, you want to be like kings of this world? I'll give you a king. Gave him a king. Why? That mentality was already developing that really to have it good and to be blessed is to have it uh, in this world full of comfort and ease and prosperity and all the things. And even here, the psalmist is wrestling. God, like, I don't believe that you're good because my circumstances are terrible. In fact, it was so ingrained in their thinking that when the Messiah comes, bringing the message of good news, God himself in the flesh who begins to do signs and wonders, 
to validate who he was. He begins to speak the truth and life of the kingdom of God himself. He offers to them a picture of God that is just breathtakingly beautiful of grace and love, a a God who cares about everyone, the life of Jesus as he lives it out. They reject him and they crucify him because he did not meet their standard of what the kingdom should be. Amen? It became so ingrained that this is what God is promising us. All the while, God is saying, what I'm promising you is a kingdom that first of all takes care of your biggest problem. And then out of fixing your biggest problem, the life of the kingdom will flow. Am I making sense? Did I lose you? It's okay. Somebody raise their hand and say, I'm lost. Just shut her down. Oh, I better not do that because most of you raise your hands. But. You know, like, hope disappoints when promises are misunderstood. This is always the wrestling of mankind. Listen to Romans chapter 5. Therefore, since we've been justified through faith, great stuff. I've been made right with God by faith through the work of Jesus Christ. I have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. That's where all of us want to be, right? Sign me up. Through whom now, not only do I have peace with God, but I have access by faith into this grace, this grace that's changing my life and giving me a new start. This sounds great. And I boast in the hope of the glory of God, that God's best days for me are still ahead, and I have this unbelievable future. But then he says this. Do you want to know how hope really comes about in our life? Not only so, but I also glory in my suffering. Guess what all of us are acquainted with? Suffering. And if we live with a misunderstood uh, understanding of the promises of God, we will not be hopeful because if our suffering becomes what God is either like us or not, if we suffer, then we begin to doubt if God is good. And he says, whoa, 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 God's doing something greater. We glory in our suffering because we know that in the hard times, it produces perseverance. And perseverance, this stick to, I'm not going to quit. I stubbornly believe in the goodness of God and the plan of God. Even when circumstances look backwards or I'm struggling and suffering, I still believe. I persevere. I strengthen that spiritual muscle to not give up, to not quit. And when I persevere, then I begin to have character. This character that looks like Jesus Christ, who trusted the Father implicitly through his whole life. In the middle of his suffering, he just trusted in the goodness of God. He always knew the goodness of the Father. And when I do that, I become full of character. And when I become full of character, what happens? then hope becomes the living reality of my life. (laughs) And hope does not put us to shame. It doesn't, this hope doesn't mock us. This hope doesn't bait and switch us. This hope doesn't trick us like, ooh, you should, you know. It is certain because God's love is poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. It's why the writer to Hebrews would write about hope in this way. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. 
Can I remind you that just as the Old Testament people wrestled with, I'm not, things aren't going the way I thought, and so I'm disappointed, and I'm wondering about God, and it's, my hope level is way down because it's just not good. That you are looking at the wrong metric. You have the wrong dashboard. That God is always working in us to do good for those who love him, who are called according to his purposes, and that we can have hope regardless of our circumstances because God is working in us to make us into the people he designs us to be. My hope level doesn't have to go like this. I don't have to be a Psalm 89 guy. Like, you know, like just the extremes because they didn't understand that God was going to be faithful, that God was going to come through, that it didn't look like Israel was going to be a superpower for the rest of their existence, but they were going to be a vehicle for the number one problem that has always plagued mankind, and that is our sin issue. And that in bringing Christ into the world, it provides the platform to fix what ails us and then provide a sense of what is to come. Hope is often it, we're disappointed because we misunderstand what God is doing. I've said this before. I said this last week or last year. Hope depends on its object, right? Um, you understand a very basic understanding of biblical hope. Hope, biblically, is not wishful thinking, right? It's not blind optimism. Um, uh, it's not kind of like the guy who was falling off the 20-story building and on his way down, somebody yelled at him, how's it going? He said, so far, so good. Um, you know, that kind of, whoa, you are, you know. Hope is not wishful um, you know, it, it, it's not a very hopeful thing for me to, to play the lottery, right? I mean, I can act like I have hope, but you and I know that the odds are, it's wishful. I mean, it's just even a wishful thing to hope that Iowa scores a point in the Big Ten championship game. <laughs> it's wishful. It really is. There's no indicators that they were going to score a point. Amen. Yeah. Thank you for suffering along with me last night, those of you that watched. Now you know what I'm talking about. An expectant hope, you know, if I, if I buy tomato seeds, go out, put them in the ground in the spring, I, I expect tomatoes to come up. That's a, that's a reasonable hope, isn't it? But there's factors involved that could make it. It could be bad seed. It could be bad weather. It could be bad soil. And so even though I expect I did what I was supposed to do and I expect a result, it's not certain, right? The, Biblical hope is certain. It's certain. It's not misplaced in any way. It's not wishful. And so here's what I want to finish with, just these two thoughts that have really captured my heart this week as I, as I walk into the Advent season thinking about the word hope. I, I would remind you that the nativity is a validation of hope, that everything about the nativity story is hopeful because God validated everything he said he was going to do. I mean, the details of the story down to where he was born, when he was born, how he was born, it's perfect. 
he did not mess up. You want to talk about certainty? He came through on every, every dotted I and cross T. And when we think about hope in this time and we think about the story, we just look and say, wow, God said he was going to do it and he did it. That's the kind of hope I can have in him. It's one that when God declares and promises something, it is certain to come through. And so nativity reminds us of this certain hope. It's a validation of hope. But this is where I'm really leaning into this year is the nativity is the prototype of hoping in the supernatural. Some of you are like, whoa, you're using too many big words. Everybody knows what a prototype is, right? It's, it's the first model. It's the example on which then you make everything else, right? Like it's, okay, this is the standard. Now we manufacture everything to the standard. And the nativity story becomes the prototype. It becomes a standard of how we hope in God to move in our lives and in our world. And he did so in a supernatural way. Like, I, I know it's like, sometimes you feel like, yeah, I'm that guy that believes in a God who came from a virgin and actually rose from the dead. And the world around is like, that sounds ridiculous. But that is, that is the nature of our faith. This is the crux matter. Do we believe in a God like this, who does this stuff, who did this stuff? Are we radical in our trust and belief to have a willingness to look around and say, hey, you know, you believe Two plus two equals four, and that's true, but you just live in the natural order of the world all the time, and, and you don't contemplate that anything can change or anything's different, really. And, but I believe that God broke into this world to change the whole trajectory of this world, and he did so in a supernatural way. Amen. I'm that guy. I'm okay with that. Are you with me? That, that's what... And nativity is saying, listen, this is how God acts. He, he, he impregnates a virgin through the power of the Holy Spirit. He lives a life that is full of God suspending natural things in order to do supernatural spiritual things. That this world is tied to a natural origin with no hope, not being able to fix itself, broken beyond repair, and without any outside help is just going to, it's nothing. But God has entered into our world first in the person of Jesus, incarnating himself in the flesh, then living and dying and raising from the dead, so that then he can incarnate himself into my heart through the person of the Holy Spirit. These are all supernatural acts. These are not things that you can earn, that you can work up, that you can somehow buy. It's God supernaturally working. And what I'm leaning into is, is my hope. The Lord has laid me flat this week about this. That so often I think too natural. My systems, I got to get them right so that then this lines up. Or, okay, we'll fix it in this way and that way. And, okay, we'll react to this. Or, you know, sometimes it's like, well, that's just the way it is. What did you expect? You know? Um, 
do silly things, get silly prizes, you know, like kind of like, duh. And the Lord is saying, whoa, whoa, whoa. Do you realize who I am and what I do? Are you, a, are you one of those who believe in the supernatural? Because this story we're celebrating this whole month is supernatural. It didn't just happen and somebody planned it. I mean, God invaded our world and suspended natural things. And when he comes into your heart and my heart, he suspends the natural, dead, selfish person. And he brings life, and that's a supernatural miracle of grace. And can I begin to look around my world? And as I pray about people and situations, the spirit of this season, the hope we have is in a God who does supernatural things. And he hasn't stopped. And he's still looking and leaning on a people who are willing to see him in this way and trust him in this way and sometimes get out of the way and just say, God, all glory to you, but you're gonna have to change that heart. You're the only one that can do that. You're gonna have to change this situation. You're the only one that can do that. I've done A, B, and C, and it's still not adding up. Well, that's kind of, alphabet doesn't add, but it's still not working out. God, I need you to make the difference. And yet that's what you do. That's how you work. My life, your life is really a testimony to the miracle of God's grace. Why would we stop short in this season of looking at everyone around us, of looking at circumstances and saying, you know what? Nativity was supernatural and God hasn't stopped doing supernatural. Because that's the evidence, the essence of what grace is. It suspends this fallen, broken, dysfunctional, natural world and restores and renews it. And so this, this morning, I want to do something just a little different. It might be awkward for you, but I just want you to bow your heads. Uh, this has been for me this week. If nobody else, I needed to study this. I needed to lean into this. But I just wonder as you're sitting there and as we're getting ready to go, as I pray, that if you would be willing to say, God, I realize that my hope needs to be in a God who is supernatural, who can do what looks impossible, that can do things that we cannot accomplish, that it's the spirit of God that brings life that is so desperately needed. And in this season, I want to look at everything around me through that kind of hope. Would you join me and just stand where you're at? If that is at least the confession of your heart today, if you're willing to say, God, help me move toward this hopeful disposition of seeing God who can do what man cannot do, that can change what man cannot change, let's live this season and this story. It's the prototype of what God continues to want to do. He wants to incarnate himself into our lives, into our circumstances, 
and do spiritual renewal. Father, thank you, Lord. Help us to just grab a hold of this. Uh, your spirit has really convicted me, and I, I pray that you would continue to speak to each one of us. If we are holding you to such a shallow standard that, well, you did that, and that's the hope I have for later, but Lord, this hope is living, and it's active right now, and it, it, it is able to do immeasurably more than we can even ask or imagine as the Holy Spirit works works in us. And Lord, hope means God can change things. And we want to live this season with that spirit and that attitude. Thank you, Lord. Work in us and then through us. We pray this in the strong name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen. amen. May the Lord fill you with all hope as you go this week. Thank you for listening. For more information about our church, visit limacommunitychurch.com. Thank you.